0: God offers a tailor-made enabling grace for you to say what you mean, to mean what you say, to follow up and enforce your instructions with your young children.
1: Hey friends, welcome to the Hope and Help Project, the podcast that cultivates compassionate, biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. I'm your host, Christine Chapel, and I'm really glad you're here to join in on today's conversation with Sam Crabtree. Today we'll be talking about Sam's book, Parenting with Loving Correction, Practical Help for Raising Young Children, to discover how the gospel of Jesus Christ helps parents pursue consistent, faithful discipline that mirrors the grace-giving, truth-speaking God of the Bible. If this is your first time listening to the show, be sure to learn more about the Hope and Help Project by visiting FaithfulSparrow.com forward slash project. The link is posted in the show description and by visiting that page, you can learn all about the mission of the podcast. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Sam Crabtree is a pastor at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minnesota, where he has served for over 20 years. He is a former public school teacher and is chairman of the board of Bethlehem College and Seminary. He is also the author of Practicing Affirmation. Sam and his wife, Vicki, have two daughters and six grandchildren. Hey there, Sam. Thanks so much for joining us on the show today.
0: Well, thank you for inviting me. It's a privilege, and uh, I've been praying about this, that people would be really served and helped.
1: Yes. Well, I think that your new book, Parenting with Loving Correction, is a resource that offers really wonderful, encouraging help. You write that you intend the resource to really throw parents a rope and not an anchor. Can you share what you meant by that statement and give some insight as to why you wanted to write something that would serve as a helpful resource to those walking through a season of rearing young children?
0: yeah sure. I, well, first, I, I don't claim to be an expert, a child rearing expert, but I have discovered a few things that others have also found helpful in being around children and raising children and and teaching children. and uh, I see parents struggling in the face of defiance from their kids when much of it, I think, can be corrected in love. And so what I mean by a rope and not an anchor is I don't want to send parents condemnation because their children happen to be sinners which they all are Mm -hmm. and I'm not pretending to lord it over these parents by being some smart-aleck know-it-all armchair theorist who (laughs) creates more duty and more obligation and and makes parents feel guilty because they're falling short of some man-made method in fact by the way the book parenting with loving correction does not attempt to address all aspects of parenting doesn't cover the whole waterfront, but just one small significant aspect, namely correction, which is way smaller than nurturing your children and instructing your children and affirming your children and praying for your children and giving your children a sense of belongingness. Those are all way bigger. Right. This is just a little tiny piece of parenting. So I, w- I want to offer a rope, meaning here's some help. And in the strength that God supplies, you can do it. You can do the correcting of your children. You can do it well. So I just offer a little bit of clarification, make some suggestions, and try to encourage loving, decisive action. I hope that helps.
1: Well, absolutely. And I'm just really thankful for the wisdom that you did communicate through the book. I found it so relatable and helpful and clear and also, you know, scripture oriented. This is not just Sam's ideas of how, you know, we should be handling our children's correction, but actually taking a look at what our duties are according to scripture and how we can wisely approach this particular aspect of our parenting. Now, I have three children. I have a 13 year old, a six year old and a five year old. And honestly, Most days, I feel like I still don't know what I'm doing as a parent. I'm not really even sure that will ever change. But we can know some things about how the Lord wants us to steward our parenting roles and our children. And one of those ways being corrective discipline. So Before we unpack this conversation and look at various frameworks we might have when it comes to loving correction, would you take a moment to define corrective discipline for us from a biblical perspective?
0: Well, I'll I'll take a stab at it, and I just want to commend you for your attitude that you're not a know-it-all, I'm not a know-it-all, we're lifelong learners in this, Mm -hmm. and we really learn by the experience of having children. In fact, I've told my children over the years, you raised me,
1: Mm.
0: not that I raised them, they they taught me they grew me up but i'll take a stab at defining it in the book parenting with loving correction i say that corrective discipline means first identifying actions in your children or attitudes of your child that are unacceptable when weighed against clear and explicit standards so you have some idea in your mind hopefully a biblical idea in your mind of how a child ought to behave and ought not to misbehave, and you identify those explicitly to the child. And then, secondly, you act promptly and decisively to move your child in the direction of compliance with those standards. That's my basic definition, and I think it's warranted biblically from texts like the well-known text in Hebrews 12 that describes God's own fatherly correction of us. The the scripture there in Hebrews 12 says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For, here's the ground or the basis, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So discipline is an aspect of love. If you love your children, you discipline them, you correct them. In fact, later in that same text, it asks the question, what son is there whom his father does not discipline. It's just assumed that good parents discipline their kids. So that's the warrant that we ought to be doing this. So then the task in front of us to set out to discover how should we do it and when should we do it and what way should we do it and what we should we avoid in doing it. And uh, so I, I hope that's helpful.
1: I'd like to see if maybe we can go a little bit deeper, would you help us understand the fear factor that is involved in corrective discipline? I love when you wrote in the book that if our children fear us without delighting in us, they will find no rest in our company. If our children delight in us without the right fear, will become their vending machine. And when the vending machine doesn't dispense what they want, they just utter curses and inflict hostility towards us. Now, I loved that statement. It reminded me of something uh, that Elise Fitzpatrick wrote in one of her books, basically referring to God as um, sometimes we approach our relationship with him as if he is a cosmic vending machine. So as children of God, we're just coming to him and wanting to get God's goodies and not necessarily God himself. So what do parents need to know about the distinction between destructive fear and healthy regard for parental authority?
0: Well, it's a great question. And and when you just quoted that sentence back to me, I got to thinking, well, that's a pretty good sentence. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I wrote that.
1: Right, yeah. <laughs> God, God
0: must have been helping me when I
1: was <laughs>
0: drafting this. I guess I would underscore that there's a destructive kind of fear that parents can manifest toward children or other authorities can, can inflict upon their citizens that intimidates, a fear that intimidates, it belittles, and it springs new regulations and punishments on the children without advance instruction and fair warning, without plenty of affirmation and love and acceptance beforehand. I think as I look back on, this is maybe far afield, but Nazi Germany, soldiers in the streets on the spot could invent new rules with capital punishment. Hmm. Either do this or I'll shoot you dead. Hmm. And okay, fair. now if we kind of shrink that down into immediate parenting, I don't know of any parents who are telling their children, do what I say or I'll shoot you. But impromptu rules with harsh punishments without advanced instruction and warning are unjust and they produce a fear that can't be assuaged. Healthy fear or healthy regard believes that in the real world, there's destruction and injury to be avoided and correction aims to steer away from that. So I remember even as a child, when, when my father would spank me for some misbehavior on my part, and I knew I had it coming, he was not being unjust to me. I remember that my mother would come along and say, now, you know why your father is correcting you this way is because he wants you to grow up to avoid this hazard. Mm -hmm. He wants you to become a wise young man. And so then my fear of my dad, yes, I I feared being spanked. I didn't want to be spanked, but I didn't fear that he was malevolent toward me or that I never knew when he was going to sneak up on me and pop me one. Um, So I hope that helps make a distinction between, of course, I fear the rod, as it were, but I don't fear the one who's holding the rod. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. I think that's a really helpful distinction that you just made right there. And I really relate to what you were talking about. I can picture myself just in the car in a drive through line at McDonald's and my children are fighting. And it's just like sometimes in those moments in your haste and frustration, you just shut out some random you know, threat of punishment that is unjust because it's not like they knew in particular that this thing was coming. It's just mom's laying the hammer down because she's impatient and now everyone's upset, uh, you uh-huh. know, and so I'm just being well, honest because I think that's where, well, yeah. you know, a lot of people oh, yeah. find themselves. But I, I do appreciate the insights that you shared there. And like all profitable things, taking the time to be consistent and clear with our children's discipline is hard work. In fact, I will be the first to admit that I'd much rather prefer to just yell some generic parental rebukes and warnings at my kids and just hope for the misbehavior to resolve itself, which it rarely does. I know that that sounds awful and lazy, but I'm trying to be honest because I think that's where a lot of parents find themselves with young kids, just so overwhelmed or annoyed or stressed that there seems to be little to no bandwidth for implementing a consistent discipline routine. Can you help us understand why this is worth our effort? Why is it good for both parents and children to come? under the wisdom of God's direction in this area.
0: Sure. Well, I, I want to identify with you in, in your urge sometimes, especially when we're weary and especially when the kids are particularly elevated mm-hmm. in their rambunctiousness. <laughs> I, rem- I remember hearing uh, one woman say, if you kids don't stop bugging me, I'm going to throw you out that window. Yeah. Well, they knew and I knew she didn't really mean it and therefore it wasn't particularly helpful. They didn't stop bugging her. And besides what's bugging her mean, it's it's vague. So let me get to your question. Why is it worth the effort? Well, you've heard the old phrase, if you nip it in the bud, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: if you nip it in the bud, then you avoid what the bud could produce. Buds produce flowers and fruit and that sort of thing. So you avoid an eventual, briar patch, I I would say if you don't get compliance from defiant children at a young, young age, then the teen years are going to be terrible. So you want to get ahead of it. A consistent pattern established through hard work early on requires much less effort later. It's kind of like dog training. It takes a lot of effort to train a dog at the beginning, but once the dog is trained, You get more enjoyment from the dog. Children are very similar in that respect. Children become much more enjoyable for everybody around them, not only their parents, versus people riding on on the jet plane with them, people in the grocery store, people at the restaurant, people they have to play with. They're just much more enjoyable. So it's worth the effort in the long run to invest the energy in the short run
1: in the book, you highlight three core imperatives for wise correction. I really thought this was helpful. Uh, So number one, keep it God centered. Number two, speak truth, always mean what you say. And number three, reward obedience, not disobedience. Obviously, I would point people to get a copy of your book to really dive into these points. But would you offer us an overview of what you mean by them and why they are so important to be mindful of?
0: Well, sure. One of the ways to, to condense the how-to of discipline is to say these four things to a child. No, not that. Yes, this. Yes, now. Thank you, good job. <laughs> so um, it's based on the principle that I think God has wired into the universe and wired into human nature mm-hmm. is that rewarded behaviors tend to get repeated. Therefore, be careful what you reward. I was in the grocery store recently and there was a a mother of a little boy. Oh, I'd say two years old, maybe less in the grocery cart. And she was checking out all of her groceries and she had a rather full cart. And the boy in the seat was throwing a hissy fit. I mean, he was whining and everybody around the checkout counters was aware of Mm
1: -hmm. that it was
0: happening. I mean, he was making quite a scene and apparently... She had promised to purchase for him some Twizzlers, and they were somewhere down in the cart. And he was demanding those Twizzlers with whining and crying and shouting and and so on. And so while she was checking out other items, she dug down in that cart, found the Twizzlers, had the clerk check them out first. And then she handed the bag to the boy who immediately stopped his demonstrative uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) demonstration and opened the bag and gave him a Twizzler. And then she went about finishing her checkout business. And I watched the boy and he, he bit an end off the Twizzler and then he held the Twizzler in his hand, reached out outside the grocery cart and released the Twizzler to the floor.
1: Oh my gosh
0: and started whining and fussing for another one.
1: Wow!
0: She dug through the bag of Twizzlers, pulled one out and gave it to him. Now, what is she doing? She's paying him to have that hissy fit. Mm-hmm. She's rewar- She thinks that, well, I'm silencing him by giving this. I'm getting his cooperation by giving him this Twizzler. And I would maintain she's rewarding his defiant behavior. And so be careful what you reward. I think a way that many parents do this is they fail to follow through on the commands they give. So if you don't follow through on your command, like get your pajamas on or come sit in this chair or brush your teeth or get your coat on, we're going to get in the car now or, or whatever. If, if you don't follow through when they disobey, then nearly everything else you say, including later on the gospel, comes to mean nothing to them. They don't know if you mean what you say when you say, get your coat on if you say, get your coat on, and they don't, and you don't do anything about it, if you don't correct their disobedience. So it's so important to to get ahead of this, because if they won't obey you when you say, get your jacket on, they won't obey you later when when you say to them as teenagers, keep your pants zipped. Mm
1: -hmm. That really makes a lot of sense, what if, we're only now learning about this approach to loving correction. Maybe we've been listening to you talk and we're like, yeah, this is what I've been missing. I, I, I'm I, that parent letting my kid have the Twizzler and getting, you know, a new one every time they drop it to the floor. How do I change that? Uh, in me. Maybe we didn't know about it before. And so based on this conversation, we're feeling convicted to give it a try. What are some things we should be mindful of or that we should address before we begin to implement wise discipline in our home?
0: Well, first, I would want to commend the parent who's thinking, you know, maybe I've learned something and maybe I should do things different. I mean, we do want to be lifelong learners and we are going to learn things to implement later that we just don't know today. We're going to learn it later. But today is always the right time to start implementing what I'm discovering today. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a good time to begin. Now, you've asked the question, what should you do before you begin to implement wise discipline in your home? And I, I would say, well, begin by disciplining yourself before you discipline others. It's the, it's the old get the log out of your own eye principle. Your children, I think, are born with God-given hypocrisy antenna. And they can read when there's something that you want them to do because you say it, but not because you model it. And they're going to sense the difference. And it's going to be offensive to them. It's going to be even wounding to them to hear you say, I remember I I had a track coach. You you didn't want any of his uh, athletes smoking, but he smoked. And we all (laughs) kind of thought, what's... What's this about? Right. You know, we're supposed to not smoke while we're in track, but grow up to be like him and smoke later, or what? You know, it just seemed hypocritical. So, discipline yourself before you try to discipline the children. I would say, way before you discipline children, it's important to have a robust diet in your home of affirmation. In saying no to children, they should be surrounded by a whole bunch of yeses. Well done good job, thank you for doing that. God is pleased when you act that way. That kind of talk in the home I think sets a context in which then you can say, now God's not pleased when you do that. Mm -hmm. Don't do that particular behavior. I would say if you're gonna begin to implement a new strategy, a new pattern in your home, it might be good to just talk with the children about what you're discovering. And if you think you've been doing it wrong, apologize for it. It was not too long ago. I'm going to say in the last couple of weeks, I called one of my daughters who's now in her forties. How did that happen (laughs) to apologize for a way that I treated her way back when she was, I'm going to say about 10 years old. I asked her if she remembered the incident she did. And I asked her to forgive me because it was inappropriate on my part. I don't want to be that way. And, uh, I think it's important to apologize if we've recognized we've done something wrong as parents, own up to it in front of the kids because it teaches them and models for them how to do it when they've been wrong, how to own up to wrongdoing. Then declare a new day has arrived. Okay, we're instituting a new practice here in our home. Here's the way it's going to be. And then I would also say parents should expect resistance. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you put a new policy in place in your home, it's going to be tested. The kids are going to see if you really mean it, especially if they've been experiencing a pattern in which you don't really mean what you say. You haven't followed through on what you've said before. Will you follow through on this new day that's arrived in your house?
1: Hmm. So Well, many of us have opinions about the use of corporal punishment in the home. And you talk about this in the book. Some of us were spanked on occasion as a child, and others of us were mistreated by parents who abused the practice entirely. So how does the Bible instruct us in regards to this matter? When should we spank our children and when shouldn't we?
0: Yeah, I. Uh, first of all, I, I wanna point out a difference between physical contact between parents and children that injures them and physical contact that helps them even if it's painful. I can illustrate it with a, with a story. I, a number of years ago when I was an adult, a man much bigger than me put a chain around my neck and laid me back and stabbed me in the head numerous times. I lost two teeth. I was black and blue from my temples down to my sternum. And uh, he held me there for a couple of hours. Then he let me up. Now, you probably have an impression of him that's very negative. What a mean man. But he wasn't mean to me. He's my friend. My wife and I have stayed in his home. Uh, he let me up and I went to his receptionist and I paid him for he was my dentist. <laughs> oh he, was, my gosh. <laughs> he was extracting some wisdom teeth that were very stubborn. The The chain around my neck was the little chain that goes on that napkin thing that's around my neck. Oh. And so your first impression might be that, that he's inflicting uh, injury in me by stabbing me. Well, those were the Novocaine needles that he was coming in. He, he, Was struggling to get that area of my jaw numbed. And so you can see there's a distinction between assaulting my body that injures and assaulting my body that helps. And I think it's an important distinction to keep in mind when the subject of spanking comes up. All the defiance that small children express toward their parents, they express with their bodies arched back, glaring eyes, yelling, stomping, thrashing about on the floor, maybe throwing things. All these heart manifestations are expressed bodily. And I think it can be appropriate to work backwards toward the heart by getting the attention of the body. That's the role of careful corporal punishment. The well-timed, well-placed thump on a small hand aims at heading off the problem later if you were to stick that fork in the electrical outlet or or whatever. So just like it won't serve anyone well to fail to make a distinction between surgical cutting and hostile stabbing, calling it abuse, mm-hmm. it won't do to lump all striking of children in the same bucket called abuse. So I would say this about spanking. It's for defiance, not accidents. It should be done based on a, a plan, not just because the, the parent is irritated or didn't sleep well the previous night, we should put away our anger. We should not delay. It should be swift. It should be self-controlled. And I think private is generally better. Not always, but better. Young is better. I think spanking should go away over time as the children get older. And there are other options that have been laid out. I think in the book, I mentioned some other ways to correct children. You don't have to spank. That's not the only way to do things. I mean, you can put them in some solitude or remove the the thing that they've been throwing, take it away from them, or you can restrain them, just scoop them up and and carry them over to the chair and sit them in the chair. Or there are other tools besides spanking.
1: Right. And again, I think if anyone listening to this episode is intrigued by what Sam is talking about, please get a copy of the book. You will not regret it. And I also want to add that you terrified me with your story. I thought that I was hearing something that was super tragic. And I'm very thankful that it was just the dentist and not some other very awful awful thing, but it was a very good illustration, um, yeah. but I'm glad yeah. it was just an illustration and not a real a real attack.
0: <laughs> yeah, there, there, yeah, there are people who think that it's terrible and tragic that a parent has spanked his child. Well, I think there are terrible and tragic spankings. They right. exist, but right. let's not lump all of them together into the same bucket.
1: So let's say we've given our child one clear warning and they have persisted to ignore us, and it becomes obvious That we must, as you write in the book, apply the painful consequence. After we're done with this wise discipline, is there more work to do on our part or a method with which we should be sensitive to in closing out the moment with our child?
0: Oh, sure. I mean, give them a little time to to have their cry or, or whatever. But then immediately demonstrate affection and belongingness. You're my child. Come here, climb up on my lap. And you, you can read them as they climb up on your lap. You can tell whether they're accepting your, your parental affection or they're not quite ready just yet. Mm -hmm. And if so, give them a little more space, a little more time, but there's belongingness there. And then, as I said earlier, after you say, no, not that, yes, this, yes, now, thank you. So affirm obedience and cooperation. I I just think that's massively important and confirms what you're trying to teach. And then you can pray with them, you can pray for them. Uh, So yes, there's work to be done after the discipline.
1: Well, what age should our child be when we incorporate loving correction into our home? You touched on it just a bit earlier in the conversation, but I wonder if you could just really hone in on giving us some parameters in terms of when should we be thinking about starting corrective discipline, and then how does that evolve as our children get older?
0: Yeah, well, I would look for two factors early on. Number one, is there danger? As I mentioned, you know, if the child is about to stick fork into the outlet, there's danger. So you might want to thump their finger or something along the other one. And the main one, I think is defiance. So people have asked me, should you correct newborns? It's pretty hard for me to read defiance in a little newborn, but it's not very many months later. That they, you, you try to put their onesie on and they're arching their back and they don't want anything to do with it. Well, that's defiance. Mm-hmm. And I think you can start to correct then.
1: What would it look like to incorporate loving correction with you know, a child under the age of even one?
0: We were watching somebody else's child one time and my goodness was he an active little fella and it was time to change his diaper and he was reaching for this and reaching for that and twisting this way and twisting that way and I really don't think there was any defiance in it he just was very active and very interested in the whole universe Mm -hmm. all at one time and I don't think he needed to be disciplined we just needed to overpower him to get that diaper changed. Well, it's very similar in a fine line between the child who's not just active, but defiant. They don't want that diaper changed. And it's the same thing. I think God designed parents to be much bigger than these little tykes so that we just simply overpower them. And that's the discipline. You are not going to have your way in resisting this diaper change. We're going to change this diaper. And it might mean that you just hold them. You know, if they're if they're swatting at you with their hand, you just hold their arms against their body. Or if they're arching their back, you just lay them firmly down on the table, and uh, and proceed with the diaper change. I don't think there needs to be a spanking there. I don't think there needs. I don't think it would do any good for there to be any hollering or
1: mm-hmm.
0: or uh, scolding with words or anything. But just let them know they're not in charge.
1: Right. Well, there may be someone listening to this episode who is currently struggling to bring wise discipline to their child. Maybe they see it as a punishment or that it's mean and they don't want their child to be upset with them. Perhaps they have a history of domestic abuse in their own childhood, so occasions for discipline serve really as painful reminders of the past or maybe this parent just hasn't taken the matter seriously because they feel like it's not worth the effort to try. What would you say to this person to give them the courage they need to embrace their God-given parental authority in a way that keeps them from becoming a drill sergeant or a pushover?
0: Well, if you're listening to this and that's you, I feel for you. If you were mistreated as a child, I'd groan with you. I, I know there is such a thing as trauma. I've experienced trauma and it is discombobulating. But meanwhile, there is a perfect father and our imperfect fathers don't measure up. In fact, neither do we. I'm one of those imperfect fathers, but that doesn't keep God from being the perfect father. And I would just encourage you, you're not mean to head off future regrets for your child by means of correction. You are loving that child. We could point to several texts in the Bible. We mentioned Hebrews earlier, and there are several in the Proverbs and in Ephesians and in Ecclesiastes. And yes, we can fall into one of two ditches we can be permissive and let them get away with murder, and the other ditch is we can be too harsh where it seems to them like we're committing murder. Meanwhile, God offers a tailor made enabling grace for you to say what you mean. To mean what you say, to follow up and enforce your instructions with your young children. And I would say to you that there are capable people like Christine who want to help you and resource you. So I commend you for for tuning in and for doing the kinds of reading that she's been suggesting to you. And I don't know you, but I've been praying for you in a general way that God would come alongside of you and give you a sense of his presence with you and encourage you to persevere as a loving parent.
1: Well, thank you so much, Sam, for those encouraging words. If there is someone listening to the episode today and they want to get more connected with your ministry or just with you in general, is there a way that they can connect online, a website they can go to, or perhaps an email address?
0: Probably what I would suggest to them is to email me at crabtree. C-R-A-B-T-R-E-E, just like it sounds, at Bethlehem.church. Bethlehem is just like the, the city in Israel. It's just like the Bethlehem Star, just like Bethlehem Steel mm-hmm. Company in Pennsylvania. So sam.crabtree at Bethlehem.church.
1: Very good. And if you are interested in reaching out to Sam, you can click the link in the show notes for this podcast. I will have that information on the show notes page, as well as links to Sam's books. Uh, Many of you may be familiar with his other title, Practicing Affirmation. It is a wise, I can't say enough good things about about that book, but I think the two books together, this book and Practicing Affirmation, would really help to equip any parent, uh, of children of any age, really, to cultivate an atmosphere of affirmation and wise, loving correction in their home. Well, Sam, thank you so much for taking the time this morning to share your wisdom and these insights. I really do appreciate it.
0: Well, uh, it's a privilege, Christine. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit FaithfulSparrow.com forward slash project. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode, complete with links to Sam's book and other helpful resources. If you enjoyed today's conversation, I would be so thankful if you left a review for the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Be sure to subscribe to be notified when new weekly episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help Project a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. One more thing. If you're looking for gospel hope and help for life's challenging problems, visit FaithfulSparrow.com forward slash email. I send my email subscribers weekly biblical counseling resources on rotating topics. From videos, audios, articles, and recommended reading, these emails are designed to equip you to discover gospel hope and help in your own life. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on The Hope and Help Project.